Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. special day because today here in Israel we mark Memorial Day Yom HaZikaron when we think of the 20,000 plus victims of terror and war on Israel waged by our enemies and tonight Yom HaZikaron will give way to Yom HaAtzma'ut Israel's Independence Day, and from a day of mourning and tragedy, we go into celebration and thankfulness for the independence of this country, for the fact that for the past 74 years, there has been a Jewish state in this world, that God has given us the privilege after 2,000 years to come together, to engather the exiles, to bring so many Jews, almost the majority of Jews are living in Israel right now, and we're very close to becoming the majority of Jews. So this is a very special day for us here in Israel. It's a special day for everybody who loves Israel, as I'm sure all of the people listening to me today are. And on this show today, we will talk about the significance of Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzma'ut as they are reflected in this week's Torah portion. Because we have choices of how we look at every single moment of our reality. And we have choices in how we look at ourselves, how we carry ourselves in this world. This is another lesson we will be learning from this week's Torah portion. And finally, I cannot let this show go without celebrating the amazing achievements of the state of Israel. Because every single person needs to understand that Israel makes not just Israel better, but the world better. It's an amazing blessing to us Israelis that we have Israel. It's an amazing blessing to the Jewish people everywhere. But really, Israel is an amazing blessing to people all over the world because Israelis are so dedicated to making the world a better place in every way possible. So please stay with me for this show. It's a very special show and a very special day for me. And I'm looking forward to spending the next hour with you. So please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. 
as we celebrate Yom Atzmaut and mark Yom Azikaron, as we celebrate the Day of Independence and mark the Memorial Day just before it. A teaching from this week's Torah portion becomes very, very poignant. This week's Torah portion tells the Kohanim, the priests, not to become defiled. And on this verse, the Degel Machne Ephraim, the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, shares an interesting story from which he draws a point. His grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, would share a story that one day there seemed to be an evil decree on a town of Zaslav. And the rabbi of the town got so scared of this evil decree that he ran off to a different town. But from there, he understood that he has the ability to change the evil decree. How does that happen? The Degel Bahane Ephraim explains that nothing bad comes from God. This is a principle that his grandfather, Baal Shem Tov, has taught. Nothing bad comes from God. But because God creates the world through speech, so to say, through letters, these letters can be put together in different ways. So, for example, there are quite a few Hebrew words that if you move the letters around, the meaning changes. But because the world is made from the same letters, there is a connection. The Baal Shem Tov has taught that the letters are the atoms from which the world is made. And these letters can be put together as different combinations, just like atoms can be put together as different molecules. And if you put together different atoms as different molecules, then the substance changes. So the same thing happens with the letters. When God, quote-unquote, pronounces something, he does so with the letters. But humans, especially tzaddikim, holy people who understand that, can change the the order of the letters and, quote-unquote, create different molecules or different substances or experiences. So even if there's an evil decree on the world, that decree comes down in letters, and um, a tzaddik, a holy person, through his prayer, can change how the letters are ordered and turn something negative into positive. For example, the Hebrew word nega, which means a lesion, a skin lesion, leprosy, that makes somebody impure, those same letters of nun, gimel, ayin can be ordered differently into ayin, nun, gimel, and spell the word onig, which is enjoyment. There is a very deep meaning to this teaching. It's not just about the Kabbalah, not about the holy people and how they can understand the letters that are coming down and changing the experience of the world. There's a deeper meaning here for all of us. Every single moment of life has potential. Every single moment of life is a creation of God that God gives to us to shape. Every single moment can be seen and and interpreted and used for good or for bad. Let's say a kid of yours comes to you and says that they are upset about something and something bad happened. In that moment, you have many, many choices of how to respond to the child. You can be there for them, look into their eyes, 
and connect with them emotionally and understand where they are and give them support and maybe teach them tools to manage these emotions. And in the same time, you can brush them off and say, I don't have time for this. Go deal this with this on your own. And you can also get annoyed with them that because they're bringing the little problems and they're distracting you from your own thing. This one moment, this one situation can be seen, interpreted, and reacted upon in so many different ways. And we as human beings have the choice of how to experience this moment. Is this a distraction? Something bad? Something annoying that God has sent me? Or is this an educational opportunity which I'm going to grab with two hands, enjoy, and be thankful for? Thank God God has sent me this opportunity to do something good and to teach my child an important skill. And we are the ones who take these moments and shape them into the moments that they need to be. We marked the Holocaust Remembrance Day last week. And recently I heard an unbelievable story of two cousins who were in the Auschwitz together, who are now women in their 80s. So these two cousins met at a wedding and had a discussion. One of the cousins said, I'm thinking about the fact that in Auschwitz, our fingernails did not grow. We didn't have scissors. We had no way of cutting our fingernails. This is such a kindness that God has shown us that we did not have to go around with longer fingernails we couldn't deal with. And there was a little thing that was spared from us. And her cousin said, what are you talking about? In Auschwitz, we were malnutrition, so of course our fingernails didn't grow. Now, these two women had the same exact experience of this horrible place called Auschwitz. But one woman chose to see it as an expression of evil, as another hurt, another slight, and another woman chose to see that as something positive and good and as a kindness. The experience is the same. The reality, the objective reality is the same, but the personal experience of each woman is very different, and the emotions she felt were very different. And this is such a deep teaching for every single one of us. Every moment we come into reality with the world, we have a choice of whether to make that moment a moment of defilement, a moment of impurity, a moment of evil, because this is how we decide to experience, or we can choose to be kohanim, we can choose to be priests, priests who understand that they're here to serve God in every single moment, and every single moment can be uplifted for the service of God. So while the literal meaning of the verse is that priests cannot be defiled by coming into contact with death, which is certainly true for every single one of us, this deeper meaning, because we can view ourselves as being here as servants of God, being here for the service of God, viewing ourselves as kohanim. And that means that every single moment has the potential for purity and holiness and good and help and benefiting the world. And every single moment also has the potential to be downgraded, to be seen as something negative, to do something that's hurtful to the people around us, or just to bring evil in the world. 
every single moment has that potential. And those letters that the tzaddikim can turn from good to bad, each one of us can be a tzaddik in that way. Each one of us can take the potential of that moment and turn it into something positive or negative. And this is so true when we come to these two days, Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzma'ut, the day of remembrance and the day of independence. The creation of the modern state of Israel in 1948 and certainly the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel over the past 150 years have created numerous opportunities and numerous threats. And we have to remember the threats, but we also have to understand that while we're marking the losses, we understand that the losses are here to create the state, to create a place where Jews can have a state of their own, an economy of their own, and create a beautiful Jewish life that has not been around for 2,000 years. Just yesterday, I heard a survivor talk about her experience in Auschwitz, a woman who was actually born in Auschwitz five weeks before liberation. And like many other survivors, she said that if in 1944 there was a state of Israel, there would have been no Auschwitz. So yes, the state of Israel can can come with a price. Over 20,000 people, soldiers and civilians, have been killed since 1873, the time that Israel has decided to start marking losses of the Zionist movement and that later the stand of Israel. Over 20,000 people have paid with their lives for us to have the state of Israel. And we have the opportunity to give each one of these losses meaning that these losses were not for nothing, that these losses, as unfortunate and painful as they are, a part of the creation of the state of Israel, probably the biggest blessing for the Jewish people in the past 2,000 years. So it is so symbolic that Israel chooses to bring these two days together, Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut, because really the two sides of the same coin. And if we have the option of looking at the loss, at the bad, at the price, at the horrible loss of 20,000 lives, we can, while remembering that price and paying honor to every one of the fallen soldiers and civilians, celebrate Yom HaTzmaut, the Day of Independence, and see how it is such a great blessing for the Jewish people. So I hope that you make these two days meaningful for yourself, wherever you are, whether you're in Israel or abroad. Find a moment just of connection to Israel. Find a moment to be thankful for its existence. And we'll talk more about that right after the break. Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. 
But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For a lighten up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. defile themselves for a dead body. Judaism sees life as the most important part of life. Nothing is as important as life because every single moment of this life, just like we said, is potential for doing good. And the antithesis of life is death. Death is the source of all impurity and evil in Judaism. And therefore, the Kohanim, the people who are the servants of God, the priests in the temple of God are not allowed to go near anything or to touch anything that has to do with death. That's the ultimate form of defilement. And furthermore, even simple people, if they have to come in touch, in contact with death, are not allowed to go up to the temple and not allowed to bring sacrifices or be part of the temple service. This is actually one of the reasons, while after building the state of Israel, and while we have a Jewish state in Israel, this is one of the reasons why most Jews do not go up to the Temple Mount, and why we cannot build the second or the third temple, because all of us are impure, we have all come into contact with death in one way or the other, and coming in contact with death doesn't just mean of being there, a dead body, the second layer and tertiary um, guard, guards around that. So the many ways that a person can come in contact with death. And there's a purification process in the Torah, which we do not currently have. So this is the reason why we cannot go up to the Temple Mount or serve God in a, in a temple. So in this week's Torah portion, once again, the Gohanim are not allowed to come into contact with death. But the most staggering example is that of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Not only is he not allowed to come into contact with death, but he's not even allowed to attend the funeral of his own family members. Other simple Kohanim, regular Kohanim, can go to a funeral or attend a funeral of their closest first-degree family members. But the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, is not allowed to participate in a funeral of his own parents, wife, children, siblings. He is allowed to attend, but from a distance, and follow the funeral procession from a certain distance um, that is discussed in the Talmud. And the question is why? is It's not human, almost, to require this person, the Kohen Gadol, not to be part of the mourning of his family members. Of course, he mourned, but the Torah says that he, he cannot leave the temple. 
and this is meant figuratively and not literally. So I want you to look at this teaching and to understand what it means for every single one of us. The Torah enjoins the Jewish people to be the nation of priests. So while the laws of priests are literal for the people who are priests, who are the children of the family of Aaron, there is a meaning in them for all of us. Because every single Jewish person is a priest, and in reality, every single one of us, every person in the world, is here for the service of God. And in the service of God, we have to have our priorities straight. Of course, we have to be there for our families. We have to be mindful of our families' needs. And the most difficult and misled kinds of people are the people who put their relationships last for their ideology because ideology and relationships with our people have to be go together. Judaism teaches that kindness starts at home, that benevolence starts at home, that before you go out to help people you don't know, before you go out to help strangers, you have to help your own family members first and then the members of your community, your town, and so on. Because in Judaism, Help, benevolence, kindness radiates from the family unit out. It's so easy to go out and help other people and to so hard sometimes to have the patience and the time of day for our people who are closest to us. So in Judaism, it is extremely important not to sacrifice our relationships and our connection and our family for the ideology. Actually, that's the marker of the most terrible, tyrannic, despotic regimes, like the Soviet regime, that actually educated children to snitch on their parents when their parents did not toe the party line. And we see this in places like Korea and China, where family members snitch on one another and give one each other up for ideology, and that's horrible. But while being very mindful of the centrality of relationships and what's called Shalom Bayit, the peace in the family, which is really a central principle in Judaism, and a lot of things can be bent to ensure peace in the family, because without the family unit, there can be no Judaism. While we do that, we understand that there are situations in which we have to look at the service of God above and beyond everything else. And the Kohen is not a private person. The Kohen Gadol is not a private person. The Kohen Gadol is the embodiment of the Jewish people. And as the embodiment of the Jewish people, he can never leave the temple, so to speak. He can never leave his position. He is not a private individual. He is a public individual that belongs to the entire Jewish people, that represents the entire Jewish people before God. And in that position, he has to make choices that he can never leave his public position. He can never put aside his public position for private mourning. He cannot come in contact with death because that would prevent him from being in the public position that he needs to be in. There is a lesson there for all of us. There's a lesson there for all of us that we all, in a sense, are public people. Not because we're public people. We can be very private. 
but we don't just belong to our families. We all represent our families, our communities, our cities before God. We all have and have to have a public life where life is not just for ourselves, but for everybody who is around us, for the community, for the greater good of the Jewish people, for the greater good of the world. And we have to be mindful of that. It is so easy to say, I can't do that. I'm so burdened with this, that, and the other thing. But no, each one of us is a Kohen in his or her own right. Each one of us is here in the service of God. And just like the Kohanim had to be mindful of not coming into contact with death because it defiles them and prevents them from serving in the temple, we all have to be mindful what are the things that influences the impure, quote-unquote, things in our life that we cannot come in contact with them because if they defile us, we cannot serve God in a proper way. And just like the Kohen Gadol, we have to be mindful of what is my public responsibility and what are the things that I have to create a balance with between my private life and my public life to serve greater good. Because really in the world, most people are just concerned with their private life, with their own money, their own home, their own family members, their own kids, their own marriage. And they don't really give the time of day to think about what is their responsibility to the world in general. And yes, absolutely, if you give your time to the greater community, you will pay a price in your personal home. And that's a very, very careful accounting and calculation that every person needs to make. There has to be balance. But a person cannot be only for themselves. The person has to be here for the greater good. And that's a lesson that we're learning from the Kohanim, the priests of the temple. Each and every one of us has to be mindful of our responsibility. And what is your private home? What is your private sanctuary? But also, what is the public sanctuary? What is your role for greater good? If we can view ourselves as kohanim, as priests, as servants of God, then our whole behavior and demeanor will be different. I know a lot of people look at themselves and say, who am I to be a priest of God? Who am I to be the servant of God? Who am I? What do I know? I'm just not worthy. But the Torah says, no, we're a nation of priests. Every single one of us was created to serve God, and every single one of us was created with the potential for holiness, to uplift our surroundings, to create more holiness, more goodness, more kindness. And that's a choice. Yes, you who's listening to me right now in the comfort of your home or while standing in traffic, at this very moment, you are a servant of God. What would that look like for you? What would your demeanor be? How would you carry yourself? How would you present yourself? How would you talk to other people if you were mindful of your role as a priest, a servant of God in the world, a person who brings godliness and the word of God to the world, the presence of God to the world, the awareness of God to the world? That's your role. That's who you are. That's who you're meant to be. What would your life look like if every single moment of your life was full 
with this mindfulness. After the break, we will talk about the amazing things that make Israel Israel, because I really cannot this show go without celebrating Yom moment. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Hello and welcome back. So, as promised, this coming Thursday is Israel's Independence Day. And as promised earlier, I am going to share some really fun and interesting facts about the country. We're going to talk about the most beautiful, amazing things that are in Israel, about this, how great this country is. And for those who have never been to Israel, open for tourists and you'll be able to come and visit us. So here we go. Number one, Israel has the highest number of altruistic kidney donations per capita in the world. And actually, over the past 11 years, over a thousand people donated a kidney to somebody. Number two, scientists in Israel have managed to grow fresh dates from 6th century seeds found in Masada. That's right. Almost 2,000 year old seeds became fresh dates. Israel is only, also the only country in the world to have been able to resuscitate a dead language. Hebrew, a language that was dead for almost 2,000 years, is now spoken in every uh, part of this country by kids and in every context. The Israeli Postal Office has a special letters to God department for all the letters arriving in Jerusalem from around the world addressed to God. And they're opened and placed into cracks of the Western Wall. And while we're on the topic of the Western Wall, how many notes do you think the people put into the Western Wall every year? One million. One million notes are placed inside the Western Wall every year. And the Western Wall Foundation cleans those out uh, every year before Passover as part of Passover cleaning. Those notes are cleaned out and they're buried uh, in a way that a sacred text would be buried because every single note inside the Western Wall is precious and filled with tears and yearnings of people. Um, Okay, going on. Israel has some of the hottest temperatures in the world. The hottest temperature ever recorded in Israel was 54 degrees Celsius. That's 129 degrees Fahrenheit. And that was in Kibbutz Tzvi in 1942 in northern Jordan Valley. Okay. But on the other hand, Israel has snow. The west, the most northern part of Israel is the Hermon Mountain. And it has snow in the winter. And the most southern tip of Israel is obviously all desert. 
okay? And although almost half of Israel's landmass is desert, we still have an Olympic bobsled team. So there are seven different climate areas in Israel, and every single climate is available here. If you want to go to the desert, you can go to the desert, and then you can drive three hours and go snow skiing. Okay. Israel is the global leader in medical clowning, and it was the first country in the world to send medical clowns into COVID-19 words in order to be able to cheer people up. In 2007, Israeli businesswoman Sherry Arison initiated the Good Deeds Day to encourage people to help each other. And that year, 7,000 people took part in the project in Israel. Now, two years ago, almost 4 million people took part in this project in over 100 countries around the world. Israel has two seas, and two big lakes. The two seas are the Mediterranean and the Red Sea, and the two big lakes are the Dead Sea and the Kinneret. We call them the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And Israel has 137 beaches, and all of them are gorgeous and beautiful, and Israelis love hanging out on the beach. Israel is piloting a new artificial intelligence system to help lifeguards protect swimmers on the beaches and give real-time data on wind, waves, and other possible hazards, ensure to keep everybody safe. And while we are on the subject of water, Israel recycles 90% of wastewater it creates. So 90% of water that goes through our pipes and is used in our households is then recycled and used for agriculture making it the leading nation in the world for water recycling. I think the clo this closest next competitor is Spain, who is about 20%, and the United States only recycles 1% of its wastewater. In uh, July 2021, a group of artists in Netanya created the world's largest mosaic made out of socks, using 12,000 socks in total, and all of them were clean. And while we're talking about socks, an Israeli company called Pulis has developed socks that are made out of recycled plastic. You get a box of 70 socks, I think, in pairs. You know, they're all the same socks. You see they're white or black or colorful. And they'll come in a box. They're made out of recycled plastic. They're really soft and comfy. And the same sock feeds the entire family. So in my house, we have a five-year-old and her dad wearing the same th socks that are made out of plastic. Cows in Israel produce more milk on average than dairy cows in any other country in the world. 10,000 liters, that's about 2,500 gallons of milk per cow. Okay. And Israelis love kids so much that on average, our country has more kids per woman than any other OECD country. There are almost four kids per woman in Israel, and that's twice as high as the average in OECD. We absolutely love our kids. And Israel is also the only country in the world 
where the number of kids per woman is going up, even as women's employment and education also go up. These are usually two trends that contradict each other, but in Israel, they go together. The only place in the world where the number of children is growing together with women's entrance into broader educational and employment options. And Israel is also one of the only countries in the world to subsidize in vitro fertilization. So if women need to have an IVF done, Israeli medical system subsidizes it for the first two babies, and IVF for the first two kids is free. Israel performs more IVFs per capita than any other countries in the world. And babies in Israel are 10 times less likely to be allergic to peanuts than in any other country. And this is because Israeli moms feed their babies bomba, bomba, peanut snacks from a very early age. Bamba are these corn puffs with peanut butter on it. Israeli babies eat those when they're seven, eight months old, and there are very few peanut allergies in this country. Okay. Um, and while we're talking about snacks, let's not forget about Crembo. Crembo is Israel's favorite winter snack. It's a cookie with cream on top, all covered up in chocolate. There's seven different ways to eat the Crembo, and it's the quintessential winter snack. It's brought out in, in, the, the, in autumn, as soon as it starts to rain, and nobody eats Crembo after Passover. That's when we switch to ice cream. But in the winter, we have Crembo, and if you haven't tried it, you should. The glue on Israel's postage stamps is kosher, okay? And while we're talking about kosher, Israel has over 50 alternative meat startups, a very high number uh, compared to any other place in the world. And it's not a surprise because there are more vegans in Israel per capita than in any other country. Uh, all of this is good news, but here is some other news. Israel is the eighth most expensive country in the world to live in. And Tel Aviv has some of the highest real estate prices in the world. It has been named fifth most expensive city in the world to live in, according to the Economic Intelligence Unit. Um, it's because things are happening and... Tel Aviv is really in demand, and so is Jerusalem, by the way. Okay, an Israeli company has developed a paint that uses sunlight to activate a cooling mechanism on cars, buildings, and planes, and even clothing, providing air conditioning without electricity. The hotter it is, the more the coating cools. And this is really no surprise because it gets pretty darn hot in Israel during the summer. Israel was also the first country in the world to innovate sun panels that heat up water in every household. It's an innovation that goes back to the mid-60s and every single apartment in Israel has solar panels that are connected to a water tanker 
And this is how we heat water during the summer. No need for electricity, no need to burn coal. Israel has more museums per capita than any other country, over 230. Israel also has its very own Stonehenge, an ancient stone circle called Galgal Rifaim with massive rock walls that are just eight, that are eight feet tall. The stone structure is about 5,000 years old and it was only discovered in 1960s. The Mount of Olives is the oldest continuously used cemetery in the world. It's been around for 3,000 years. Okay, this is all we have time for today. It was lovely having you with me on the show. I'm wishing all of you who are in Israel a happy Independence Day. And I'm wishing everybody else here for you to come out and visit us in Israel. Sunday. If you love Israel News Talk I will Radio, see you then you'll at love the same time next week. We keep you up to have date an on what's happening week. in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.